You are listening to LEC Online Church, a ministry of Lake Erie Church in Madison, Ohio. We are a multicultural, multi-generational Pentecostal church. For more information, please visit our website at lakeeriechurch.com. Now, we hope you enjoy today's message. I want you to take your right hand and place it over your heart. I want you to take your left hand and sort of extend it to the Lord in some fashion or form. I want you to repeat these words after me. I want what God wants. I want you to say it again. I want what God wants. Now we're going to say it one more time, but I want you to think about what you're saying. That I want what God wants. Wherever that takes you right now. I want what God wants for my marriage. I want what God wants for my career. I want God, I want what God wants for my life partner in marriage. I want what God wants for my family's finances. I want what God wants for my future. I want what God wants for my children. These are not just casual flipping words. And I want you to say it one more time. I want what God wants. I want you to stand with me, please. We're going to read the scripture together. We're going to start a new series this week for the next three Sundays. And we're going to be looking at the concept of obedience. And I've chosen a story this morning out of 2 Kings that I think speaks because it's a story that has always intrigued me. It's the story of a sick man who needs to be healed and he is sent to the house of the prophet. So it goes something like this. The Bible said that Naaman was a great soldier, but he had leprosy. He was a good man, but there was something that kept him from being whole. And I want you to listen to me because some of you listening to me right now are just like Naaman. You're a good person. You live a good life, but there is something that's holding you back. Something that's preventing you from being who God ultimately wants you to be. So he, he has a little girl in his house who's making beds, little servant girl, and she obviously was raised up in a household of faith, and she says to Naaman's wife, would God that my Lord, talking about Naaman, could get to the prophet in Israel, for surely he would deliver him from his leprosy. So the thing I want you to know about Naaman's leprosy was he was a soldier, so with all that armor on, nobody knew his secret. Nobody knew he was sick. Nobody knew there was anything wrong with him. Just like you. You put on your Christian armor and you walk into church. Nobody knows. But on the inside of that armor, you're sick. You're limited. You're held back. You're distracted. You're depressed. You're discouraged. You're offended. 
You're afraid. You're anxious. You're struggling because you don't know what to do about the secret that nobody knows anything about. So he hustles over to the prophet's house. And that's where we pick up the story in verse 9. It should be on the screen. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, Go and wash in the Jordans seven times and your flesh will be restored and you will be clean. Notice this. But Naaman was an idiot. That's not what it says, is it? Naaman was angry and went away saying, Behold, I thought he would surely come out to me, stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. Here's what saved Naaman. Here's what saved him. A servant of him came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Why don't you just do what the man said? We've come this far. Has he actually said to you, if you wash, you will be clean? Then why not do it? So he, Naaman, went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child and he was clean. You can be seated. Now listen, the only people on the planet earth who love the word obey are parents. Children don't love it. In fact, children don't like it. Teenagers, you guys don't like it. You hate the word obey, Micah. I know seniors don't like the word obey. You know how I know this? Because my mother-in-law tells me that Shelly is a warden. <laughs> Nobody likes the word obey. In fact, we would have to assume that somebody created this word because there has to be a word that would convince somebody to do something they don't want to do. Obedience is the choice I make when I don't want to do something. There are some things in life that I'm forced to do. When the doctor says diet or die, I'm forced to obey. When the IRS says pay your taxes or go to jail, forced to obey. When law enforcement says wear a seatbelt or pay a fine, forced to obey. When the line says don't cross this line, you're forced to obey. And even the rule followers in the room, don't raise your hand because I know you're here. There are rule followers. I can point out several of you that I know well enough to know you're a rule follower. I'm married to one. 
Even the rule followers have something inside of them that struggles when they are forced to do something against their will. Shelly and I have an amazing granddaughter. She's, she's 15 this year and her desire in life, when you say to her, Sadie, what do you really want? She'll say, I want to be in charge. When she comes to visit, when she was little and she would come to visit with us, her dad would, you know, we'd meet halfway and, you know, we would get, get in the car and, and before they'd pull away, her dad would say, now Sadie, who's in charge? Papa's in charge. Say it again. Papa is in charge. Because Sadie wants to be in charge. In fact, she said to me one time, the hardest thing about being a child is you have to do what parents tell you that you have to do. I can't wait for Sadie to be a parent. few years ago I was going through a personal experience in my life and I was searching the word of God for direction and guidance. And I decided that I would mark every scripture in the Bible that talked about obedience and surrender. And at the end of the year what I discovered is that the whole Bible is about obedience. Everything in the Bible is about God wanting me to obey him. All of his promises are built around the concept that if I will surrender myself to him, if I will yield myself to him, if I will let him have his way, he will bless me. So I've come this morning to remind some of you that the one thing that God values about you more than anything else in the world is your obedience. That God would rather have your heart to be obedient than to have all the money in your accounts. To have all the talent that you could put on a stage. What God really wants is your obedience. Now there are two things that I'm absolutely sure fundamentally that are true about our relationship with God. I know these are true. I don't have any question about them. I know that God wants my life, your life, and our family to be blessed. I know that. I know that God wants your life, your family to be blessed. And I know that God wants your relationship with him to be fulfilling and enriching. He wants that. But here's where the rub is. Here's where the but is in our life story. We're good people. God wants to bless us, but we always struggle with God in figuring out how do we get to that outcome where God blesses us, where our relationships are fulfilling with God. How do we get there? And we always struggle because what God wants and what we want is so often opposite. Let me give you an example. I want to manage and handle a lot of money. I do. I want to be filthy rich. What God wants, and I want God to help me be rich. I want God to help me have more money. What God wants is he wants me to manage less money well. You follow what I'm saying? 
I want God to change the people in my life who give me so much trouble. I want God to fix the knuckleheads and deadbeats that I struggle with so much. God wants me to change my attitude so that I learn how to care about people I don't like. God, I want God to answer all of my prayers so that my faith will be strong. I want God to show up and do amazing things so every atheist out there has to say, I guess I was wrong. God wants me to persevere in the hardest of times to prove my devotion to Him. You see what I'm saying? God and I are in agreement that, that He wants to bless me. I believe that. And we're in agreement that He wants my life and my relationship with Him to be fulfilling. Where He and I struggle is how do we get there? How do we get to that place? Because here's the big point. Most of the time, God and I agree on where I'm going. We almost always disagree about how to get there. We always agree about where we're going, but we always disagree about how to get there, how to get to that point. And so I, I want you to understand as we get started here these next three weeks, we're going to try to answer this question. Can we trust the fact that God always wants what's best for me? Can you and I trust that? If I'm 17 and I'm in high school, can I trust that God wants what's best for me? Because I want, I want that cool girl for my girl. I want that cool guy to be my guy. But I don't feel like that's what God wants. So can I trust that if I do it God's way, if I want what God wants and I have to walk away from that relationship, can I trust that God wants what's best for me? I want that job. I want that house. I want that car. But that doesn't seem to be what God wants. So can I trust that God always wants what's best for me? And the reason I raise that question is because it's the question I'm always asking. Because there are times when I'm not, I think I know a better way. I, I think I know how to do this. And, and, and here's what happens. I do it. God says, okay, well, just you know, go ahead. Go ahead. Do it your way. I'll be waiting on you down here at the other end. And I come to God and I am just bleeding and busted up. And I'm like, okay, okay. You were right. It, it should have been your way. Because listen to me, brothers and sisters, students, moms, dads, grandma, granddaddy. God's way is always the best way. Always. Always. And I think that the struggle that I have, the struggle we have, is that we're convinced at times that we know a better way. 
So when God asked me to forgive somebody who hurt me deeply, and I trust that God always has my best interest at heart. Because I don't know if they deserve to be forgiven. But see, that's my, that's my butt right there. I'm a good man, but I can't forgive that guy. I, I think I really do love the Lord, but I can't get over what he did. Or, or, or she's a good lady, but she cannot get over her past. So can I trust that God has my best interest? When God, when God asked me not to play house with somebody I'm not married to, can I really trust that God has my best interest at heart? Or do I have to have it my way? When God asked me to tithe 10% of my income, when my finances are already so tight I can't breathe, can I trust that God has my best interest? heart listen to me the answer to that question every time is yes yes you can always trust that God's answer is yes you can trust me that I am working for your best so in the few minutes I have left I want to tell you about this man in second kings he was a good man. He had a disease that needed to be healed. And so he goes to the prophet's house and the prophet gives him a, a very simple command. Go to the Jordan River, dip seven times, you'll be healed. And, and, and Naaman disagrees with the instruction. He says, there's other ways to do this. I, I think there's a better way. He should have come out and put on a display. He should have come out in fanfare and waved his hands and made a big commotion about it and then just healed me on the spot. Wouldn't that have been better? Wouldn't God have got more glory in that? Maybe there'd be people that would have come to Jesus because of that. There's a better way. I don't want to do that. This man would have gone home a sick man if he had not listened to somebody that he trusted. And I've said many times when I've taught and preached about Naaman that he should always thank God for the guy that was in that chariot with him. Because he said to the, to the man, he said, listen, man of God, if he would have asked you anything else, if it had been anything else, if he had wanted your money, if he had wanted your sword, you would have given it to him. He just told you, go dip in the river. And the story is, as I read to you, that when he did what the prophet told him to do, he was dramatically healed. So you say, Pastor, what in the world does that have to do with me? I think there's two things that God has spoken into my heart about this story that you cannot afford to forget. Here's the first one. Easy obedience is seldom easy. If you're looking for an easy way to do God's will, you're not going to find it. Because obedience is always going to cost you something. You're always going to have to give up something. God is going to require. There is no such thing as easy obedience. 
Because I promise you, God will make you give up something that you treasure and something that you desire. What Naaman wanted was an easy way. He wanted an easy way. He wanted the prophet to come out and make a big show. And he wanted, you know, he did not want to do that. Elisha didn't even give him the honor of his presence. That probably ticked him off worse than anything. I'm an official. I'm a dignitary. I'm a great man. You should have come out here at least and shown up and looked me in the eye. Instead, you sent a servant person out. Notice verse 11 should be on the screen. Naaman was angry and went away saying, I thought he would surely come out to me, stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Maybe Naaman's problem is your problem. Maybe the reason that you're not obedient is your pride. Your pride that you want it, you want God, but you want God your way. You want God to do it your way. You want God to save your husband your way. You want God to answer your prayer your way. You want God to come on the scene and do what you want it, but you, you want it the way that you want it. And that attitude, that prideful attitude is preventing you from finding the answer that you're searching for. Because you have to want what God wants. You've got to want it the way God wants it. As I've thought about that this week, I've thought about the fact that probably Naaman's issue was not so much his leprosy. Because that's temporary. The bigger problem for Naaman was his pride. His stubborn pride that said, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to do that. I don't want to do that. And so he would never have gotten healed because of his pride. The Bible tells us that pride goes before a fall. Most of the people that you have watched disintegrate, deteriorate ahead of you, it's because of their pride. It's because they were not willing to surrender and say to God, whatever you want, however you do it, I don't care. I want my life to be yours. I want to be your servant. I want to be your man, your woman. I want to be a young person that you can be proud of. And I don't care how we do it. I just want to do it your way. That's the kind of person God works through. Next week, we'll talk about a king of Israel who was so prideful that he just simply refused to do what God said. And God said, okay, you're out. You're not going to be a king for me if, you can't, if I can't trust you to be obedient. What God wants from you and I is to be obedient, to surrender our will and to simply say, I want what God wants. And I want it God's way. I want to do it God's way. It requires us to lay down our own personal issues and desires, and preconceived ideas about how God works. I can't prove this is theological. It's just the experience of an old man that's lived long enough now to, to think about it this way. But I am almost convinced that when you make up your mind that it has to be a particular way, God says, we're never going to do it that way. We're never going to do it that way. And I don't think that's God being vindictive. I don't think that's God being 
harsh. I just think that there's a relationship that we must be reminded that he's God and we're not. I'm not in charge. I dug it out and reread it again the other day because there's something that Shelly and I have been wrestling with in our own family. And I read it again the other day where Paul said, listen, the life that I live is not my own anymore. It is, my life is hidden in him. It's not the life that I live, but it's the life that Christ is living in me. That's who I am. I'm not the boy that I was when I gave my heart to God because I gave up that life. This isn't about what I want. It isn't about what I think. It's about what God says. And that's why we have to be so careful because a lot of times we just run ahead of God and then when we get in trouble, we say, God, hey, going to need you here. And God's like, well, how did you get into that mess? It wasn't because I led you there. It's because you went ahead of me and did what you wanted and then you want me to clean up your mess. God wants you to have a heart that is so surrendered that your prayer is, I want what God wants. I told you that I was going through something when I marked my Bible and I had such a profound experience that I wrote a book about it. That's kind of what I do. When I want to communicate, people say to me sometimes, you know, how are you doing? Well, just read my books. That's how I'm doing. That's how I was doing that day when I was writing that book right there. That, that, that. Nor Faith was just a baby. She was just an infant. In fact, the day that Nora Faith was born, I was, in the, I was still the overseer of Ohio and I was in Columbus at a meeting. And my son called and he said, Dad, please pray right now. I said, something's happened to, to Andrea. She passed out as we were headed to the delivery room for Nora. And he was crying and he said, Dad, I don't know what's wrong with Andrea. They can't wake her up. And, and we prayed. She did wake up. And then Nora was born. I remember she was born in the middle of the night and I had a friend who's gone on to glory now. He said, I'll drive you to Louisville. I said, man, it's the middle of the night. He said, I don't care. We drove to Louisville, Kentucky, and I got to the hospital about 1 or 2 in the morning and slipped into the hospital and held Nora Faith in my arms that very first night. And then I drove all the way back to Columbus to my meetings the next day. We have always loved that girl. Shelly has always loved Nora Faith. But a few weeks later, the doctor started saying to the mother, said, there's something wrong with that baby's head. It's too big for her body. So we need to run some tests. And Again, my son called me. I can tell you exactly where I was on the road. Over near Mansfield on Highway 30. And he said, Dad... Something's wrong with Nora. They're going to do a test in the morning. They don't know what it is. It could be a lot of things, Dad, but it could be cancer. And I don't know, it was just because it was too fresh. It was too soon to my first wife's passing. That just, I, I couldn't, I couldn't, 
I couldn't. And I said to God, I don't know what to do here. Please, you're not going to put us through this again, are you? You're not going to make us walk this journey again, are you? Really? And so they ran the test on Nora, and there was nothing wrong with Nora. She just had a big head like her granddad. You know, one of the reasons, one of the reasons that I love Shelly is because Shelly is so honest. And Shelly said, come on, Bill, you're her grandfather. Look how big your head is. <laughs> so a day or two passed, a few days passed. And I was still dating Shelly. We were just dating at that time. We just had really started dating. And we drove down to Cincinnati and they drove up from Louisville and they met us in a restaurant. And I said to my son that night, I said, tell me how you, how you processed all this. How did you deal with that? He said, Dad, I don't know. I, I just tell you, the night before Nora had that test, I just laid across my bed and I couldn't, I couldn't form the words to pray. But I started saying to God, I want what you want. Whatever that means for Nora, God, I want what you want. And he said, God gave me such a peace. When he said those words to me, Charles, in that restaurant, it felt to me like a dagger went through my chest. And it was, I mean, it was very profound. I had a profound re reaction to those words. So on the way home, quiet, I was praying and I said to God, why did that bother me so much? felt like God said, because that's not the way you pray to me. That's why it was so difficult for you, because you don't pray that way. Here's how you pray. God, I know what I want, and I want you to do it for me. And you quote all the scriptures back to me about how I'm supposed to keep all my promises, and you just tell me what it is that you want. You never say, I want what you want. I was so convicted. And over the next several days, I just couldn't get away from that. And so I, I wrote a book. It's out there in the lobby. You can get it if you want it. I want what God wants, how obedience transforms your relationship with God. And I hardly ever look at Nora. She's, what, 12 now, 13? I hardly ever look at that girl, but what I don't remember what God taught me that day. That what God wants from you what God wants from me is a heart that is so surrendered to say, listen, I know how I would like for this to play out. I know how I want this to go. I, want, I, you know, I know what I want the chemotherapy to do. I know what I want the judge to say. I know what I want the boss to decide. But God, more than that, I want what you want. Here's the last and final point. That the pathway forward in your relationship to God is one Faithful, obedient step every day. Here's the problem with you and I. I'll, I'll start with me because this is me. But I'm learning. I'm getting better. I think the team around me will tell you that I'm getting better at this. We overestimate what we can do quickly. And we underestimate what we can accomplish over time. I mean, you know, we're like, I'm going to lose 50 pounds by Easter. No, you're not. If you cut off your arm, you won't lose 50 pounds by Easter. 
Well, I'm going to start, I'm going to start dieting right now, and I'm going to see how much. You'll be surprised what you can do over time. And I think that sometimes with God, we get so impatient that we think we have to fix it right now. So my finances are in trouble. I, I'm in a mess financially, and I need, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to buy me a lottery ticket. I'm going to get five scratch-offs, and I'm going to get out of debt. By, and God, you're going to help me, and I'm going to give you glory for it. And God says, are you out of your mind? I'm not working through some lottery. I tell you what I will do. I'll bless every $100 check that you pay the credit card company. And I'll bless every time that you sacrifice to pay your tithes. And I'll bless every penny you give to the poor. And I'll take every obedient step that you make and I will use it for the glory of God and I will bring about what you want, but it's going to be my way. I want God to fix my marriage, but I want to fix it. You know what? We're going to go to Hawaii. Going to Hawaii will be exactly what we need. We'll go to Hawaii. We'll spend $5,000 and our marriage will be fixed. And God said, what are you doing that for? You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to fix your marriage every time you go to counseling. Every time you treat each other with kindness. Every time you make a sacrifice on the behalf of your spouse, I'm going to heal your marriage. One faithful, obedient step. Because see, it's not about what I'm doing. It's not about what you're doing. It's about what God is doing through you. It's about, oh my God. It's about what God's trying to accomplish in you and through you because you are obedient to accomplish His will and His purpose. One faithful, obedient step. Can you see Naaman out there? Joey, can you see him? He's out there at the river and he didn't want to come anyway and he gets out there and he sheds all that. He's got all these leprous sores all over him and he goes out there in the Jordan River and he goes down for the first time and he comes up and he looks like just like I thought. But he dipped again. And every time, <laughs> every time he went down, he was getting better. Every time he dipped in the Jordan River, God was healing him. Every time he did what God told him to do, God was bringing about the answer. Every time he was obedient to what God said, God was bringing about the miracle. And one dip at a time, one time, every time you do what God tells you to do, he steps up and he does what only he can do. What only God can do. But it only happens when you are faithfully obedient. Can you imagine the children of Israel walking around the walls? Joshua comes back and says, now Jericho's going down. Jericho's going down. I'm telling you because God's already told me. And those soldiers are sharpening those knives and sharpening those spears. And okay, we're with you, Joshua. We're going with you. He said, no, no, we don't need your spears. I need my singers. Where's my singers at? What? I need my singers. They're going first. They're going to sing the praises of God and we're going to march around the walls seven times, one time a day. And on the last day, we're going to march seven times because that's what God said. Are you out of your mind? You know, I think the reason God told Moses or, uh, Joshua to tell the people to shut their mouth is because he knew they would talk the whole time. They would fuss and complain every time they're walking around those walls. They'd be going, that Joshua, he's not the leader I thought he was. We need a better leader, somebody with more genius, somebody with more creativity. No, you need a leader who will listen to the voice of God and be obedient to what God said because the walls were coming down God's way. God's way. The path forward for you is one dip at a time. 
every head bowed, every eye closed. I can't see inside your heart, and that's a good thing. You don't need me to see inside your heart because the only, the only people that need to see inside your heart are you and God. But you have to be honest with yourself right here. You have to be honest with God right here. I've been doing this a long time. I started preaching when I was 17 years old, so I, I've got enough experience to know that there was a reason why God put this in my heart because he knows what's in yours. And he wanted you this morning to come face to face, to confront your one thing, to confront the one thing that is keeping you from soaring, the one thing from being healed, the one thing that is keeping you from stepping into your destiny, from being able to see and realize everything God's ever wanted for you, everything God's ever wanted for your kids, everything God's ever wanted for your family, but you have to surrender. And I know you love the Lord. This is not about your sins being forgiven. This isn't about asking God to wipe away your sin. It's just the fact that you struggle to give God His way. You struggle to release control and let go so that God can take you where he wants to take you because you've already figured out where you have to go. You've already figured out what you want to do. And as long as you hold on to that, you're like Naaman saying, I'm not dipping in that Jordan River. I'm not going over there because that's not what fits my plan. It doesn't fit my five-year plan. And he would have been sick the rest of his life. But the moment that he decided, I'm going to do it, I'm going to surrender myself to that, God started healing him one dip at a time. One dip at a time. Now listen, I absolutely believe with all of my heart that God can dramatically do anything in a second, in a nanosecond. It may be that God does it immediately the moment that you surrender, but it may also be that God starts you down a road that brings you to complete and total healing. Father, in the name of Jesus, I feel the holy presence of God so strong in my, in my heart hardly breathe and I know Lord that you want to touch this people I know that you you are at work in this room right now you're at work with people that are watching me right now who had no idea they had no idea how God was going to confront them today God give us the courage that we need right now to take that first step to take that first step that's going to be the hardest step. It's going to be the hardest step to stand up out of that seat and start walking, to take that first step because, God, that's the one that's going to unleash the power of God in their life. And I trust you for that. In the name of Jesus. We hope you were blessed by today's message. Now, we invite you to visit one of our services soon. For more information, please visit us at lakeeriechurch.com.